The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So tonight we're in Mark's Gospel again, chapter uh, 6. We're going to begin in verse 45. Basically the story of Jesus walking on the water. And, you know, one of the things that the Gospels, the Scriptures give us is a, is a very fair and accurate account of uh, the disciples, especially the Gospels, you know. Um, uh, and sometimes I wonder if I'd like to admit this, but they, they, they seem to be, they seem to be more, more like me than I'd like to admit. Um, don't know if you've had one of those times where you've been, you've kind of been knocked around a little bit by life. Maybe, maybe it's good. Maybe in the long run, it, it, it brings about humility. I was, heard the story of a, I, I, I don't know if this is going to catch you off guard, but there was this gentleman, and, and he was a, a bungee jumping enthusiast. And o- over time, he had developed this, this record of, 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 of his jumps being higher and higher. And, and finally, uh, his team, he had a, a support team that found a place in Mexico um, where he could set the world record. And so, you know, they had gone down to make sure that this location was high enough. They went down to make sure that, you know, that, that everything would be legal and according, and even the people that were keeping the records so that he could set this record. And um, so he finally goes down. And it, what he found himself to be jumping from this short bridge that was over this canyon, this very deep canyon. So he, they checked out all of his gear, and it was fine. And you know, they checked the wind. They needed to make sure that the wind was just right, and so that was just right. And then finally his team came to him and said, you know, you can, it's, it's the right time of day. Everything's going to be okay. You can go ahead and jump. And so he gets up on the platform, and he does a swan dive, just something I could never do. I'll tell you that right now. They couldn't throw me off a bridge, but, well, maybe they could, but um, that's what it would take. But he does this swan dive and disappe- disappears over the edge of the bridge. And his team immediately goes to the side, and they're watching him, and he's going, everything is perfect. He, he doesn't miss a beat. And they see him get all the way to the bottom. The bungee cord stretches out. They take photos, and... Then they begin the process of bringing him back up. And so, you know, they're slowly bringing him back up. And finally, he comes over the edge of the bridge, and he's got a fat lip. His nose is bleeding. He's got a couple of bruises on his head. And they were, they were mystified. They're like, what happened? You know, did, did you hit the side of the can? No, no, that was fine. And he says, I really don't know what happened. He goes, I got to the bottom of the, of, of the jump, and I was waiting for you to, 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 to pull me up. And he said, I, I guess we didn't know, but there was a little village off to the side, and all these kids came out with broom handles yelling, piñata, piñata, and they started hitting me. Sometimes my life feels like people think I'm a piñata, but... One of the things that's important to know about the Bible is that is it, is it gives us a very transparent look at its heroes. At the various people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it, 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 it gives us, it presents them there with what we would say a vernacular of today, warts and all. Meaning that their weaknesses are not overlooked. We read of their great victories as well as their defeats. To me, it gives me confidence that the scriptures are, are true because of the, the, the light that it, that it presents. 
Some ask why. I believe that it's because the Bible is truthful, but not only that, because there really is just one hero in the scriptures, and that's Jesus. Another way to say this is that the Bible records, listen, the Bible records the faith journeys of everyday people, common individuals. I know we want to put them on a platform, we want to lift them up, and I think having admiration or appreciation from them, for them is fine. But each and every one of them are on a faith journey. Reminding us that our faith will develop as we go through various seasons of life. That is that each one of us, and those of you who are online, each one of us is on a journey where our faith is being developed. It's being perfected, and the word perfected simply means complete. And that is, that is the investment that God is placing into us even, even today, even tonight. There's no such thing as instant spiritual maturity. Our faith will be, listen, our faith will be tested. And our faith, genuine faith, will be proven. It will be proven to be genuine. I'm going to give you an example from the life of the Apostle Peter. One of the things that he does initially is that he leaves his business, he leaves his livelihood, his career to follow Jesus. That takes faith. He also, in Matthew 16, made this wonderful declaration. In verse 16, when he tells Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He understood, he knew who Jesus was to some extent. Jesus affirmed his declaration as being divinely inspired. However, when Jesus would later speak of his coming death, that is, of his crucifixion, Peter pulled Jesus aside to correct him. Again, Matthew 16, verse 22. And Peter tells Jesus the following words. He says, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. You know Jesus' response. Jesus, in verse 23, says, Get behind me, Satan. One moment, Peter is ascribing to Jesus his deity and being affirmed that you received that, that knowledge from my Father in heaven. And in the very next couple of verses, he is being compared to Satan. He goes on, Jesus goes on to say, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter's moments of missing the mark are laid before us but it is also true that his wins, the times that he succeeds, are placed before us as well. Peter, for you and I, is like looking into a mirror, reminding us that there will be those times that we say the right thing at the right time, and Danny Ramos says the wrong thing at the wrong time. The fearful Peter who denied Jesus three times would also boldly preach on the day of Pentecost watching thousands respond. This is the same man. This is the same individual. Please know that we err when we judge a person's faith by a snapshot in time without considering that their story is far from over. We err, we make a mistake. When we look at somebody stumble and we 
mark them in our minds as being isolated in that stumbling, not realizing that the God of heaven is committed to helping that person finish their race. Ultimately, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified in Rome by Nero. And that as he came to his cross, he realized that he was going to die, that as he came to be crucified, his request is that he would be crucified upside down because he felt that he wasn't worthy to die in the same manner as Jesus. My friends, you and I are not defined by momentary weaknesses or an ongoing struggle. Difficult circumstances represent an opportunity for our faith to grow. As a matter of fact, I believe... Difficult circumstances, our wins and our losses, are the only way our faith will grow and become. I want to read to you, should be on the screen, from 1 Peter chapters 1, verses 6 and 7, where Peter writes to the persecuted church, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various or different kinds of trials or difficulties. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result, listen, in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This life is not all there is. And that you and I will be presented to God with a faith that is pure, with a faith that is more valuable than gold. One of the things that's important to know is that your faith stands against invisible enemies, spiritual enemies. Simply put, because you experience resistance doesn't mean that your faith is lacking. It means that your faith is genuine means that your faith is real. Biblical faith is always in Jesus. He is the object of our faith. Now, like I said, I was born and raised in Vista. I raised my family in Fallbrook. And so I I don't know anything about lakes that that have ice, you know, that the, during the winter, you know, the top, I mean, again, I was out chiseling a little bit of ice. I, mean, I was telling Wanda, oh, you know, this is terrible. I had to, ch- you know, I had to take the frost off of my, you know, I had the windshield wipers going, I had things going everywhere. I had to, poor Danny. Poor, and, and the sun was out. That's, that's the other thing. But, but if we were to come to a lake, and we were to see that, you know, the, the surface had been frozen because of the, the, the coldness of the weather. And we were to come, we were to maybe to discuss, don't talk to me, I wouldn't be of any help to you. But if we were, you know, if we were to come there and, and, and maybe somebody in our, you know, in our group would say, I'm going to step on that. And some of us would say, well, how, you know, how thick is it? Well, maybe you should just put one foot, you know, maybe you should just put one foot before you, you step, you know, with your full body weight upon it. The idea is this, a little bit of faith in thick ice is okay, but a lot of faith in thin ice means you're going to get wet. Jesus is the object of your faith, and during a trial and a difficulty, you and I learn to focus on Jesus and not the circumstance or the situation 
in our lives. He is the ice that we can stand on, and we will never, ever be disappointed. Your faith will be rewarded in eternity long after the trials have concluded. So let's go ahead and get into our Bible study here. And it's important for us to know that the account of Jesus walking on the water takes place in the early morning hours the day after he fed the 5,000. And remember last week we made a point of saying that it was likely closer to 10 to 15,000 people for, because in Mark's gospel only the men were counted and so there were obviously women and children. So, and, and, and we'll see this in the text, this is immediately after this miracle. This is immediately after a miracle where Jesus asked the disciples, you, you provide the food for the multitude. They were engaged in the situation. They were a part of the solution. And so you remember they bring him some bread, some tortillas, and they bring him, you know, a couple of pieces of fish. And they watch the miracle take place in Jesus' hands as he blesses and he breaks and they continued, they were a part, they were a part of the miracle. That's, that's my point. It's important to remember that the two miracles were intended to strengthen the apostles' faith. Again, before we're ever, before we're ever down on the apostles, before we're ever down on Israel in the wilderness in the Old Testament, remember that their faith is growing, that they are on a journey. Remember that about yourself as well. Remember that about yourself. It's important tonight, and those of you online, it's important to remember your faith is being developed. It's not finished. Let's go ahead and, 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 and read beginning in verse 45. Jesus walks on the water. Immediately, right? Remember, that's Mark's favorite word. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat, one boat, and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And while he, dis while he remained behind and dismissed the crowd or the multitude, and after he had taken leave of them, that is, that he had released the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out at, on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully or difficultly for why? Because the wind was against them. Jesus instructed them to do something, but, but the wind was against them. I run into so many Christians, they say, well, you know, the Lord led me in this direction, and the expectation is that it should be easy. The expectation is that things should go smoothly, and sometimes they do. But when they don't, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, or whether you heard God or not. It simply means that there was, that there was opposition to them. And about the fourth watch... Of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them. It's an interesting translation here because in the original language, it means it meant it, it, it is that he intended to come near them. I know that when I read this, I go, Why is he going to leave the poor guys behind? But no, it means that he was going to come near them. Verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For all. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately, that is, in their frightened state, he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. When he got into the boat, he's not speaking to the wind. He's not, the wind ceased when he got into the boat. And they were utterly astounded. And then verse 40, 52 ties the miracles together. Why were they astounded? For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. To some, the, f- the feeding of the 5,000 reminded, reminded, remember, the people around a desolate place or out in the wilderness or away from any source of food or shelter. And so when the 5,000 are fed in this desolate place, the first thing that would come to their mind was manna being provided for Israel in the wilderness, where there was no, because, of, because the children of Israel were transient, they, they weren't planting, they weren't harvesting, they weren't reaping. God provided bread for them each morning, six days out of the week, right? You know, you're familiar with that. And here Jesus provided bread for the people in a desolate place, miraculously. John's Gospel tells us that because of this miracle, it led the people desiring to make Jesus king. Let me read to you from John 6, verse 14. When the people saw the sign, that is the multiplication of the bread, they saw the sign that he had done, they they said, this is indeed the prophet. The prophet here is reference to a scripture in Deuteronomy 18.15 where God says through Moses that he would one day raise up a prophet. So that was in their minds. This prophet who will come into the world. Perceiving then that they were, this is Jesus' reaction to what the people were saying. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus' reaction reminds us that he doesn't come to be a political ruler or king. That his kingdom, as he told Pilate, is not of this world. We're reminded from Isaiah 53 that he came initially the first time as a suffering servant. But there is a time in the future where he will come as a conquering king. In verse 45, it says that Jesus made or compelled his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side. That is, he releases them. He sends them. He compels them. I believe that possibly one of the reasons this, this, this happens is because there was an ongoing, the scriptures give us this idea that there was an ongoing discussion amongst the disciples as to who would have the highest position in Jesus' kingdom. Remember even uh, James and John's mother comes to Jesus and asks that one might be at the right hand and one, might be at, one of her sons might be at the right and one at the left. The highest positions of authority. And because of this, I believe one of the reasons Jesus sees how the people are reacting to him because of the miracle that he takes his disciples and he sends them over to Bethsaida. It's almost as though as he is protecting them. Jesus did not come to be a king the first time. He came to ascend to his throne through a cross, not by giving out free meals. Make no, make no mistake about it. Jesus is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. But he will come a second time to be the king of the world. 
Once the crowds are cleared out and Jesus' disciples are out on on the lake, the Sea of Galilee, he retreats to a mountain to pray, to be with the Father. In verse 48, Mark captures the struggle of the disciples. Now remember, there was within the group of the 12, a handful of them were seasoned fishermen, and so they knew this sea. They could, they could read the sky in the morning and the evening to determine the weather. They, they knew the way, the, the, way the, the, the surface of the sea reacted as to what was going on. Verse 40 says that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. The idea was that the wind was opposed to them, that the wind tormented them. Then Mark gives us a Roman reckoning of the time when he says that it was the fourth watch. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. If they left in the evening, this means that they were out on the water approximately 8 to 10 hours fighting against the wind. They were weary. They were tired. You know, there's come those times, I don't know, your life and in my life, when it seems as though there's opposition. I'm talking to some of my friends. They asked me, Danny, what do you think about this revival? And I go, it's encouraging. I've been praying for so long. And to, to even see, you know, a hint or a representation of God doing something special in America, my country, in my country, that God would do something special in the hearts of young people, I, it's encouraging. Because it seems to me, and it seems to me that as I look back to 1978 when I became a Christian, that I was born again as the result of a revival, a special time. And when I see my children and my grandchildren, I long for them to taste a special grace of God. When I look at you young people, I want you to experience it as well. As a matter of fact, this afternoon I spent some time over here praying in this, in this big old sanctuary. There wasn't anybody here. And I said, Lord, Bring it to our schools. Bring it, bring it to our educators. Bring it, bring it to our church. Why? Because in the Christian life, it's so much against the opposition and the hostility. Not necessarily of literal waves, but at the very least spiritual opposition that desires to discourage you the desires for pastors and spiritual leaders to walk away because it appears to them as though nothing is going to happen. And the revival, when I was in construction, it would be those hot days. I worked in Ramona one summer, and one, one day up in the mountains where we were working, it was 118 degrees. And we would start very early in the morning while the, you know, before the sun came up and the air was still cool. But as you got into the middle of the day, it was, it was so hot. And it seemed to me, we would wear bandanas, and, and it seemed to me that when the perspiration that was, I'm sorry to be so graphic, but the perspiration in the bandana and the slightest breeze would come along, it would refresh you. It would, like, give you strength again. And my friends were living in a moment 
where there is a gentle breeze of the Holy Spirit moving. And so the disciples, the disciples are struggling. They're physically drained. They knew that Jesus said to go to the other side, to go to Bethsaida, but they were experiencing his opposition. Two things are important to see here. Verse 48. The first thing is that Jesus saw that they were making headway painfully. As you sit here tonight and as you're watching online, Jesus sees that it's hard for you right now. He sees you. Jesus sees you. He sees what you're going through. The second thing that's important to you to see is also in verse 40. It says that he came to them walking on the sea. The very thing, the very thing that was opposing them, he walks on top of the sea, on top of the water. But notice, he comes to them. And Jesus comes to you. He sees you and he comes to you. He comes to be with you. On the screen, there's a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, where we're told it is the Lord, it is Yahweh, who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. The thing I was thinking is sometimes, some, sometimes losing or experiencing loss means helps us find God in a certain way. Let me explain it to you. There was a, a man, he was on a ship, and tragically in the night that the ship had sank, and he found himself to be the sole survivor. And as the sh- some of the debris had, was still on the surface, he, he grabbed a hold of it only to wake up the next morning on a very small island. He gathered some of the things together, and he made himself a little shelter. And you know, during the heat of the day, he would, he would stay in the shelter, and, and when it rained, he would, he would stay in the shelter. But his plan was to, to gather food during the evening, but during the day uh, to be in the shelter and also to be look, searching the horizon for any, any vessel, any boat that might be going by. And one evening, as he was out gathering, as out, he was out gathering uh, some food, he looked over in the direction of where he had been staying and he saw a fire and he went over and his, his little shelter, his little home, if you will, was being consumed by fire, it had been struck by lightning. He went over into the beach, and he, he lost hope. He, he began to weep. He, he said, you know, like, what else can happen to me? And he fell asleep. And as the sun came up the next day, the warmth of the sun awoke in him, and he heard a noise. And he looked out a, a short distance from the shore, and there was a boat. And he could see that there were sailors there, and they came ashore to get him. And he said, um, how did you find me? He said, they said, well, we saw the fire. We were passing by and we saw the fire. And the fire helped us find you. And sometimes, in the thing that seems so, so, like such a great loss, it helps us find Jesus. It helps us find the Lord in a way that we wouldn't necessarily find him or discover him or learn of him if we didn't experience some level of loss. There's no denying that the storm was the problem, but Jesus is the answer. His presence. Faith looks to Jesus. 
God's presence is experienced in fiery furnaces. Remember the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He would be the fourth who would join them in the furnace. The Lord is found in lion's dens. Remember Daniel said, the angel of the Lord came and kept the lions back. The Lord would be found in Stephen's ex- execution. He would be the first martyr of the church. On the screen again, Acts 7.55, what does Stephen see right before he perishes? It says, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed or looked up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. In our difficulty in the development of our faith, we have the opportunity to see Jesus. We have the opportunity to experience his presence. Initially, the disciples were afraid, thinking that Jesus was a ghost or a spirit. Mark uses the word terrified in verse 50. The idea is that they were frightened, to be sure, but they were perplexed. They didn't know what was going on. As we understand, the windstorms on the Galilee uh, generate massive waves. It doesn't help that it's dark. It always, I don't know about you, but things always seem worse when it's dark outside. Even the hint of the sun rising gives an element of hope. It's dark, and they're afraid that they're going to lose their lives. And then they see Jesus, but they don't recognize him as Jesus. Jesus speaks in verse 50. He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And the disciples were utterly astounded. The idea is that they were amazed or struck with awe. The miracle of the bread, the miracle of his walking on water, witnessed to his deity. But it also caused instantaneous end to the chaos and the danger they experienced. Our faith has the potential to grow by meeting Jesus in the storm, by learning that he will not leave us alone. In the Chronicles of Narnia, specifically The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, a character named Mr. Beaver uh, speaks to one of the children named Lucy about Aslan. Here's the quote. Then Lucy said, Then is he Aslan? Is he, he, then he isn't safe. He isn't safe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's good. The Christian life isn't safe. But our God is good. And sometimes, sometimes in the midst of the night, being battered about by waves, being thrown about by emotions and doubts, we reach out by faith and we say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know that you are good. I know that you love me. I'm in pain. This hurts but you are good, and I trust in you are good, and I have news for you. Hell shakes. The walls of hell shake when we speak this truth. (laughs) 
Let me conclude with verse 51. For they did not, that is the disciples, did not understand or comprehend or grasp about the bread, the bread. But their hearts were hardened. Uh, today, I, I received a call from a friend, and he's in, uh, he's in Kansas. He's a friend from San Diego. His name's Ernesto. He used to be a pastor here on staff. I said, Ernesto, how are you doing? He goes, I'm good. I said, I, I, I just want some relief. I go, is it cold in Kansas? I know it's cold in Kansas. What I'm asking me was, I need him to say, yeah, brother, it's really cold here. He said, it's 60 degrees. I go, 60 degrees? I expect you guys to be cold. And he goes, Danny, I got to tell you something. He goes, the city I'm in has no Mexican food. And I go, oh, that is terrible. He goes, I call my mom and I said, mom, I want you to make me some flour tortillas and I want you to mail them to me. And he said, I got them today. Homeboy is happy. They didn't understand about the tortillas. Mark tells us that it is possible to experience miracles and miss Jesus. That's what he's telling us here. It's possible to experience miracles, to see miracles, to be a part of a miracle, and miss Jesus. His multiplying the bread and the fish, his walking on the water, the sudden end of the storm upon his entering the boat, speak to his divinity, his deity, that he is God. The amazement of the disciples reminds us that they were learning as they went, that their faith was being developed as they experienced a win and a loss. It says that their hearts were hardened, that is, they were unresponsive to the fact that the miracle spoke to Jesus' identity. But I close with this. In time, in time, post-resurrection, the coming of the Spirit, their hearts would be softened, church history telling us that each of these disciples would willingly lay down their lives for Christ. I close with this quote by Corey Tin Boom. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let's pray. Father, before we worship, remind us that we are on a faith journey. For some that are here tonight, this is a tough day or a tough week or a tough year or a tough life. Remind us, Lord, that you are developing our faith that the tough season has a beginning, that the tough season has an end, but the faith that is developed during this trial will stand for all of eternity to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.